We're starting a new series today in the book of Psalms. So please take your Bible, open it up to the very middle, and we're going to start in chapter 1, all right? There's a reason we're starting in chapter 1. I know um, as you're turning there, there's 150 chapters, so we're not going to be in this book for three years to go through each one of those chapters. Uh, but chapter 1 is really a window into the rest of the book. It, it really sets the stage for everything. And we're going to see here as we begin one of the most basic answers to one of the fundamental questions that every human asks. We all ask this from time to time. And it is, what do you really want in life? Think about that for a minute. Not the immediate first thing that just pops in your head, but just really focus. What do you want in life? There's a lot that could be said there, but at the end of the day, everyone at some point is going to say something along the lines of, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Think about that, right? And you could even ask this to a parent, what do you want for your kids? And yeah, I'm sure they'll say a lot of things, but when you boil it all down, I want them to be happy. So very few things are universally accepted out there, right? I mean, you got puppies, warm chocolate chip cookies coming out of the oven, the smell of that. We're all, we're all for that. And we all also pursue happiness. We all want to be happy. And can you just hear Will Smith saying that, the pursuit of happiness? Not like our Will Smith, but the, the Will Smith, the actor, the pursuit of happiness. And in all seriousness, very few people are truly happy. And we've already talked about that a little bit this morning. You know, you can turn on the news, you can see how much unrest, how many people are suffering. And it's, it's pretty bleak out there when you do that. When you see all the pain that's happening, everything that's being stirred up, some of it's perceived, very much of it, some of it is very real. But it's heartbreaking to see what happened in Minnesota it's heartbreaking to see what's happening when you just watch the news and you listen to the president's press secretary talk with, just have a press conference. You can feel the hostility just oozing off of the screen. So I don't have to give you all the stats about, you know, healthy people being quarantined and how the unemployment rate is at a historic high and how domestic abuse is up, suicide is up. All these things are very apparent to all of us. I don't have to convince you of that. But how can you find happiness in the midst of all of that going on? And that's what Psalm 1 answers. 
the answer isn't going to be what conventional wisdom tells us. And do I even need to point out that conventional wisdom, where, where is that taking us? How far is that really taking us? We need a better answer, and we find that by reading Psalm 1, 1 through 6. So would you look at the text with me? This is where we will begin, and this is where we're going to get the answer today. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word blessed here, the first word of the book of Psalms, is not what we think of as in hashtag blessed. Okay, this isn't the humble brag kind of thing. This isn't even just wishing goodwill upon someone else. The key to unlocking this whole chapter is to understand that that word blessed actually means to be happy and whole, to be completely fulfilled with joy to where you are happy. And I have seen people take this chapter in, in the past, and they've, they've created a whole case that this is like an attack on secular education because that is the way of sinners in the seat of the scoffers. They defend Christian education with that. And I can see how in some cases that's an applicable issue. A lot, you know, there's, there's varying degrees to that. But in vast segments of our society, there is an agenda with education. And it's not just in our public schools. It's in our media. It's in Hollywood. It permeates our culture. But that's just the first verse. And the main thrust of this entire passage is a contrast between two different paths. You have the path of the righteous and you have the path of the unrighteous, the wicked. And this, this isn't just like a fork in the road either. It's not like one path over here looks amazing. Wow, there's Spanish moss on these oak trees and this beautiful savanna walk with birds chirping and it's peaceful and everything's amazing. And this other path over here, it's dry and desolate and barren. And, you know, I hear the crows cawing over here. It's just nasty. It's not like that, okay? It's more like a two-lane road. One direction's going north, the other direction is going south. And depending where you're at along that road, it may not even seem like that big of a difference if you cross over that line into the other lane. But if you start going the wrong direction, it's going to take you somewhere. There's two paths, and we need to be on the right path. We all, to some degree, straddle that line. From day to day, from hour to hour, based on the decisions that we make, and it affects us. Now, there's three movements in this chapter that I just read. There's walking down a path, then we have this agrarian image of a tree planted in water, and then it's back to the path. And this, throughout the six verses, it, it rotates back and forth between negative and positive statements. But the message that we see today in these movements of this first song is the three ways that you can find happiness. Pursue happiness the right way. And here's the first one. Point number one, it's walk down the right path. Walk down the right path. A happy person makes the decision 
to walk down that path with the right kind of people. Look again at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You have a decision to make. There's a certain type of person that will not influence my thinking. They're not going to influence my decision making. Do you think about how profound this is that the first song in the book of Psalms is a song about being happy? And it doesn't even start with a happy, positive thought. It starts with the negative. Okay, if you want to be a blessed, happy, and whole individual, don't hang out with the wrong people. That should say something. That should hit you. If you want to be happy, you have to consciously make a decision to avoid absorbing their advice. And then you can see also at the same time in this first verse, there's three layers of progression. There's three different stages of the wrong crowd, walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. It starts with you walking in the same direction. You're going down the wrong path. You're listening to the wrong people. Uh, you're not listening to the people who love Jesus and are, are looking to the Bible. It's, it's this being consumed with the philosophies of human wisdom like we saw from the last series. That's the first stage. And then you get to the point where you are standing as an advocate. You're not just listening anymore. Now you're, now you're defending their position. Does that sound familiar at all to anyone? Do you see where I'm going with this? You, you, you can't just agree with me. You have to defend me. You have to stand with me. I hear that a lot in things like the attack on the biblical definition of marriage between one man and one woman. The next stage is going to happen with transgenderism. This is the next stage it goes. It goes into this place where you have to be an advocate with me now. And then there's this last stage. It's sitting and scoffing, making fun of someone who doesn't believe what you believe. And usually these are the same people who preach tolerance. Have you ever wondered why in the world the extreme, extreme feminists have no problem and they actually defend Muslims? Does that make any sense at all? It does if you actually understand spiritual warfare and the battle of truth in your mind like we talked about, we just talked about in Ephesians. But the second you breathe the wrong way towards an Eastern religion or any other world religion, no matter how intolerant they are, the tolerance police want your throat. And I'm not saying that for Christians to get upset and defend our rights. No, that's not the point at all. I'm just saying that's the world we live in. That's the reality. These are the stages of walking with sinners. It starts with walking in the same direction. From there, it blends into standing and defending their agenda. And then it ends with scoffing, cruel, condescending hatred that's masked as humor. So the world, the people who don't know God, who are living in opposition to God's way, when they let the mass down, they're not happy people. And if you've ever gotten close with them, you can see that and you can feel that. And this illustration that is built into this song is a perfect illustration the, the path, okay? Why use the imagery of a path? Well, a path is you take one step at a time, and each step leads you to a destination. So if after the service I wanted to go pick up Monroe, I would actually have to follow that path, right? I would go out that door, take a right, go up the stairs, take another right, and there I'm at the nursery, and I have to have my, my ticket to pick up Monroe. If I went out that door and then went outside and walked towards the parking lot, I'm going a totally different path. Each step led to a different destination, Verses 5 and 6 tell us where these two different paths lead. Look at verse 5 again. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, there is most definitely pleasure in sin for a season. The Bible makes that clear. Most of us in this room have experienced that. It's gonna, the, the way that's in opposition to God is going to look alluring. People wouldn't go to parties and get high if it wasn't fun for a while. But what they don't want to talk about and what no one wants to um, focus on is the hangover the next day. It's the broken dreams and the wrecked families that come from the way of sin. And those people will not be standing on judgment day. They will actually have to pay the consequences And they're not going the same place that the people who love God are going because they spent their whole life saying, I don't want God. I don't want him. I'm going this way. I'm going my way. And in the end, God says, "Okay, you have it your way and you get separation from God. We don't want that for anyone. That's one of the reasons why we want to share the love that we have, that we know through Jesus Christ with them. But a truly blessed person is someone who is genuinely happy They were whole and they are fulfilled because they know God. And to be that person, you have to say, there are people in in my circles who can influence me the wrong way. And I'm going to make the decision to not go the same path that they're going. I'm going to look past the temporary smiles and the laughs that I can hear right now. And I'm going to trust God, the one who loves me, who sent Jesus after me, that I'm going to walk with the right people on the right path And then you find joy in the process. We already mentioned this, and it's worth repeating. It's not a happy world out there. Turning your back on God is the wrong decision, and it won't go the way you think it will go. It will be hard. It's going to be hard for people who love Jesus. This, This life is hard. There is sin that affects everything that we face. Now, if you're around those people all the time at work or maybe in school or wherever that is, And you're constantly surrounded by the people who are going down a different path. They're going south while you're trying to walk north. It is going to be difficult. And you're like, thanks, David. Like, I don't even know how to pull this one off because these are just, this is the world that I live in. Everybody around me is like this. You're shining the light the best you can, but they're, they're wearing you down. I've been there before. I understand how that goes. Well, there's a second way here that this passage gives us. First of all, find happiness by walking down the right path with the right people. Commit to a life group. Be prepared to block out most of what the angry person is saying. Secondly, point number two, delight in the Lord. Look at verse two. But his delight, this is the happy and whole individual, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice it doesn't say that a sad person is following the sinful path. And the happy person is just gritting, in it, gritting their teeth and just gutting it out like, I'm going to follow the righteous path. This is going to be hard. It's painful, but I got to do it. It's not like that at all. Instead, it's I'm delighting in the law of the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to find joy and shelter in the strong tower of my good father, meditating on truth, consuming it on your day off. I was at a birthday party last night, and I was with a man in our church, and we were talking about Jesus. We were laughing. We were having an amazing time. You can do that when you're around other, other Christians who know Jesus, but, but it just takes thinking about what he's done for you. Now, maybe you're, you're looking at this, and you're like, okay, delight in the Lord. David, 
how do I get pumped up about the law? <laughs> the law of the Lord? Like, I don't get pumped up about the 55-mile-per-hour speed limit law, right? I mean, I, I, I can't delight in that. I mean, I, I teach my kids, like, well, you can go seven over the speed limit. So if you're going 62, it's not breaking the law. Um, that's probably not a good thing to say from the pulpit, but... No, we don't delight in laws usually, right? So what does law mean and how does this even work? We need to unpack it. Okay, so C.S. Lewis, the British author and apologist, he wrote a reflection on Psalms and he actually talks a lot about this. He's like, wait a minute, how do I find delight in God's law? To, to C.S. Lewis, that was bewildering and mysterious. He said, I can understand how you can delight in God's mercies, how you can delight in his visitations, his attributes, but the law, that's either something that you honor and you obey or disobey, right? It's kind of like a black and white thing. So what is the law here? This isn't just the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. That's not what the original language is, says it is. The original Hebrew, this has the idea of the whole body of God's revelation and instruction. It's everything that's there that God has revealed about himself. So it's so much more than just a list of rules. That's a terrible way to describe the instruction of who God is, how he reveals himself, how he plans to restore our relationship with himself. That's what we're taking delight in. No one takes those rules as a command and just says, I'm going to delight in that. You have to get the whole picture of who God is. It's the full revelation of God's word. And that actually brings structure to life. It brings form to the created order that we live in when we think of it that way. Form brings freedom. And that's actually something to delight in. Have you ever thought about how there's actually freedom in form and freedom in structure? We do like structure. We all need structure, all right? Uh, we like structure in our songs, just think about any song that you enjoy. It probably goes something along the lines of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus. Like, there's structure in music, right? There's structure and form in architecture, in buildings. If, if it's a weird, wonky architecture, you don't want that house. You want to sell that house. And you talk to people about, wow, I can't believe they need to change this floor plan. It needs better structure in this place. With kids, they need structure, Okay. If you want to just absolutely make an angry kid and, and just destroy your relationship with your kid, you can do two things. Either you can overbear them with rules, just suffocate them with rule after rule after rule, overdo the structure part, or you can just give them no structure at all. You can just, like, let them go. Have it your way. Do whatever you want. Throw some money at them, but you don't, you don't come alongside them and teach them about life and how life works and how you fit into this big world. That, if you don't communicate that to your child, it's going to produce a very angry kid. And there's a lot of young adults that they have seen their parents just do that. And those are, the, those are the most of the people in counseling today are people who have had parents who don't take that concern and that care to provide structure and to teach some of the way of the world and of life to their kids. So we all want to know how to make decisions. We crave and delight in someone bringing structure and form to this crazy, hectic world out there. And that's what we can delight in in God's word because it makes sense to life. It actually brings the, the, the whole rhythms of this world. They all make sense when you put them to the music of God's word. 
That's his world that he created, and his law is true. Throughout the Psalms, we're going to see this phrase, the law of God is true. So again, how could the law, a command, just be true or not? If, I, if you said, jump off the stage, David, like, okay, I can either do that or not do that. It's not like true or false. It means the law of the Lord is true. It means it fits within the reality and the structure that God has created. And that's what we take delight in. So, so the first way you find happiness is by walking down the right path. The second way doesn't have anything to do with your personal associations. It's meditating day and night, taking delight in the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord, enjoying the freedom that comes from walking in the structure and the rhythm of God's plan. And then verse 3 gives us the third way that we pursue happiness, and it's our third point. Grow by the stream of living water. This is the third way. Look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So this is who we need to be if we want to pursue happiness. Meditating on truth. You're not soaking in the filth and the half-chews of the people who don't know God. You're delighting in and enjoying the identity of Jesus. And if that's you, you're compared here in this chapter to a thriving, budding tree that's planted by the water and its roots go deep down. And you see the two results there, right, of, that, of being that tree? The two results are fruitfulness and endurance. That's what we can get. So in the midst of the dark Darkness around us, the barren, dry land, all the pain and the suffering that's around us, if our roots are sunk down deep into the water and the stream of living water who is Jesus Christ, we can be fruitful and we can be enduring. And this is the climax of this entire song. This first Psalm 1, we, we don't know the music to it. It's been lost to us. I, I really hope one day when we're in heaven, we can actually get the musical notes that accompany this song. And we can sing them and have a big reunion up there one day. That would be amazing. But I guarantee you the climax of this song is verse 3. It describes the person who delights in God and draws spiritual nourishment from him, just like a tree that draws nourishment from an abundantly flowing stream. This is the person who can have joy even in the midst of desperate circumstances all around them. I know we all want that. To yield fruit in your season. Did you catch that little phrase, your season? So it's not, life is an endless summer, okay? It's not like everything's always going to go great. I'm always going to be completely happy at all times. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that you're going to have to draw that nourishment from the water and yield fruit in your season. So there's going to be times and seasons where you're clinging to God. You have to get closer to him. You have to rely more deeply on him. Uh, you're going to go through winters, and cultivation has to happen. But when you're planted by the streams of living water, you will yield fruit in your season. And then you have leaves that do not wither. Through God, you can find the strength to endure. The very end of verse 3 says, in all that he does, he prospers. This happy person. Prospering here doesn't mean you have the Midas touch, and everything you, you, uh, you go for just turns to gold. That's, that's the world's concept of wealth and prosperity. And, yeah, that sounds great, but that's not where God is going with this. The more wealth you have, 
I mean, God's not against wealth by any means, but the more you have, those of, those of you who have money, you know, the more stress you have, right? And the more problems you have to solve. And to stay happy and content actually gets harder and harder the more you have, not the less you have. So prospering in the spiritual sense means we are thriving in our relationship with God. And that's a person who is happy. This isn't a person who is meeting the needs of everyone else. Meanwhile, they're wasting away inside. This person is enduring. And I was thinking about this. One of the things that God used in my life to actually pull me to the place where I'm in ministry now, full-time ministry right now, is he used two men, two pastors, my dad and my youth pastor. And they had joy. In their soul, they were happy. And I, I wanted to go into business, and not that there's anything wrong with that. That just wasn't what I needed to do. But I was going to go into business, and then I looked around. I was a 19-year-old kid, and I said, wait a minute. If I'm not going to do what God wants me to do, I'm not going to actually be happy. And I saw the example that my dad and that my youth pastor had where they, they didn't make a lot of money. They worked really hard, but they had a peace and a happiness inside of them. And it, and it wasn't even spoken. They didn't even have to say anything. It was just observed. And that's the difference that having joy and peace in your life will do. It will be an effect on other people. The happy and whole person is someone who is consuming the life-giving words of God and showing love for others, and they are overflowing with nourishment from living water. When the circumstances are bad, that girl stays strong. When the circumstances are bad, that guy knows he has someone to depend on. And that can be you too. Your kids are observing you. The people at work are observing you. Students in the room, you have to look past the surface and the shine there and look as deep in the soul as you can and that will tell you all you need to know about what kind of decisions you need to make. Does that person have joy? Are they happy? It all depends on the relationship with God. We have a river, we have a source in a barren land and we can have leaves that do not wither, that don't fade away and that are attractive to those around us. But with the wicked, the rest of this chapter, that's not the way it is. It's not so with them. Blessed and happy are the ones like a tree by the water, enduring and fruitful. But the guy that's not rooted in God is like chaff. What is, what is chaff? I had to look it up myself. All right. It's like that part of the leaf when the leaf dries up. It's that little like husk of like wheat that's around like the, the root of it. All right. It's nothing. It's like that little part of the, the tree that just grows dead and shrivels up and then just gets blown away by the wind. It just goes off into nothing. That's chaff. It's the complete opposite contrast to a fruitful and enduring leaf that does not wither. A person who goes the other direction, away from God, they will have the same value in life that goes, just runs away and just falls apart and drifts off. It will fade. You and I were not created for our own personal happiness. That's why we don't find fulfillment in our pleasure. We were created for something greater than pleasure. You and I were created in the image of God for a relationship with God so that we could bring him glory. You have eternity in your heart, and you have a deeper purpose on this earth 
then, then, then you do, you have a deeper purpose on this earth for Christ than you do just on your own, for yourself. We find our happiness, our joy, when we're pursuing something greater than ourselves. And the, and the secular world that we live in says that you find meaning and purpose by pursuing your happiness. That's what they say. You pursue your happiness and you find meaning. Do what makes you happy. And if something doesn't make you happy, get, get it out of there. All right? Your marriage isn't working, not making you happy anymore. End it. It's fine. You know, what's going to make you happy? Having kids? Well, then have kids. Having a dog, not having kids? Well, then ha- get a pet. Like the world says, do what makes you happy. Pick a career that makes you happy. It goes on and on. Our Western secular narrative is you find meaning when you pursue your own happiness. But despite our wealth, our prosperity, our local charities, America is one of the most unhappy countries in the world. Why is that? Well, for one, money won't buy happiness. But on a deeper level, the gospel narrative is much different. It says, it says Jesus is the only one who brings you happiness. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus tells us that you don't find your meaning by pursuing happiness. You find happiness by pursuing meaning. Did you get that? Don't get that flipped. You find happiness by pursuing meaning. And Jesus says, when you lose your life in me, that's when you discover your true soul satisfaction. Real peace is only found in Jesus. It's living for the mission that he has created you for and that he has gifted you for. So live for something greater than yourself. Live for Jesus Christ, and then you will find happiness. Worship team, you can come up right here. And as you do, I read a story this week about a man named Joseph Flax. And this is years ago, but he had an opportunity to address a gathering of Jews and Muslims. I don't think that many gatherings of Jews and Muslims are happening right now. So you can tell that this is a while back. Pretty diverse crowd. But he actually went to Psalm 1 to speak to this group, to this diverse group. And as he read Psalm 1, he read the chapter, and then he asked, who is this blessed man? Who is it? Nobody spoke for a while, so Flask asked, was it Abraham? You know, you got, you got your Jews and your Muslims, and they both, they both know all about Abraham. So that was a good move, right? He's going the right direction here. And someone finally said, no, couldn't have been Abraham. Abraham lied about his wife and didn't trust God for a while. Like, it couldn't be him. And then Flask asked, well, how about the lawgiver, Moses? Was it Moses? Someone said, no, it can't be Moses. He killed the Egyptian. He lost his temper by the waters of Meribah. And, and so Flash, you see how he's just going through every big name of the Old Testament. What about David? No one, no, one is, no one can agree. And finally, someone in the back says, I have a book here. This is someone in the crowd. Say, I have a book, and it's called the New Testament. I've been reading, and if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that what it says is true, I would say that the man of the first psalm was Jesus of Nazareth what the person said. It's hard to notice that this blessed, happy person that's portrayed in Psalm 1 is a perfect description of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And none of us are going to be happy all the time. That's not the goal. I hope you don't walk away from this this sermon thinking, all right, I got to be happy. So I got to do these three things and just be happy. That's the complete wrong message. Okay? You find happiness by pursuing Jesus and happiness is a result of that. But Jesus embodied this. He was the only one who was really like this. It's not about finding happiness It's not about pursuing happiness. It's finding happiness by pursuing Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So walking with God is not following moral rules to earn God's favor. If the goal is to be happy, you're not going to get there that way. You're just going to get frustrated at yourself and disappointed in yourself and beat yourself up. And that's not what we're here for. We're not able Just like we just sang in that song before this sermon, we need God to enter the picture. We need him to change this dark world. He changes it one life at a time by breathing in the the truth of the gospel into us. That Jesus loved you. He came to this earth. He sacrificed his life by dying on the cross to pay your sin penalty. And if you, by grace through faith, say, I am sorry for living my way, going down my path, doing, pursuing all those other things instead of you, God. And I confess that, and now I believe that Jesus saves me, that he died for me. You can have new life. And that's the first step in finding happiness right there. It's going deep down the path with Jesus Christ, knowing that he died for me and he took my punishment so I could be free. He's the one who brings form and structure to this world. He's the only one who makes sense of this crazy life that we live. It's found right here. And that's where your soul will find happiness. Let's stand up. And we're going to pray in response to this truth.